You're listening to Uncommon Thinking, a podcast from Advertising Week. Each year at Advertising Week, we host hundreds of discussions across the globe from experts in the advertising, marketing, and technology industries. While all of these talks are best in class, one can't help but have a few favorites. This is one of mine. In this episode, from Advertising Week Europe 2015, former Microsoft technical evangelist James Whitaker discusses how to get serious about telling your brand stories succinctly and in a way that makes a lasting impact. This timeless talk is both an entertaining and educational jaunt through the wonderful world of storytelling. Change. It's coming. And all of you people, I'm going to take a picture before you know what the world is going to be like in a couple of years, and then I'll take one after, if I remember it. I'm one of those engineers and given one of those talks about change, the fact that the whole world is going to change under your very eyes over the next couple of years. Who are these people looking at me? <laughs> guy's got a dog. I'm scared of dogs. So, what are you all going to do about the change? Come on, this is our generation. None of us are afraid of change. It's the only thing we've ever seen our entire lives. Look, between the Renaissance and the Industrial Revolution, centuries. Between the Industrial Revolution and the production of automobiles on an assembly line, centuries. Between the automobile and the TV, decades. Between the TV and the computer, decades. Between the computer and the PC, years. Between the PC and the web, years. Between the web and e-commerce, months. Between e-commerce, you're getting the point. E-commerce to mobile to big data and now to the Internet of Things. And this one's going to mess with you people. It's going to mess with you people big time. But I'm not going to tell you how it's going to mess with you. I'm going to tell you a story about how it's going to mess with you because that's what this is all about. Now, have you all seen this movie? This is, this is what's coming. It's a zombie apocalypse, and it's aimed at you all. No, seriously, have you seen this movie? This is the best movie ever, <laughs> ever. This is World War Z, and, and if, while this movie was playing, if you type World War into Bing, <laughs> hey, I got that out okay. It was before World War I and World War II. That's how important this movie is. The other reason this movie is really important is because it's got zombies in it. The zombies are real. Not like that bullshit vampire stuff they tried to sell us a couple years ago. You remember that? Vampires are made up. Don't worry. They're not coming. Zombies are. They're coming, and they're coming to get you. you need, it is your civic duty to watch as many zombie movies as you can so you're ready for the apocalypse. Now, this zombie movie has special meaning for me because a woman invited me to see this with her. I was surprised. She had never shown any interest in zombies at all. You might even call her a skeptic. She's like, oh, let's go see the new zombie movie because it's got Brad Pitt in it. Zombies, Brad Pitt, holy shit, best movie ever. <laughs> and so there we are. 
And I'm like, oh, zombies. And she's sitting next to me. She's like, oh, Brad Pitt. She heard about the shirtless scene. And, and I'm enjoying this movie. I, I'm, I'm ready to propose to this woman for inviting me. And then something strange happens. I notice she's next to me. And she pulls out her Windows phone. <laughs> and she starts looking at it. And I'm thinking, what are you doing? He could take his shirt off any minute and you're going to miss it. And I am not describing it to you. <laughs> and then it gets worse. I hear her counting. Five, four, three, two, one. She touches me on the knee and then she walks out of this most perfect movie. I'm shocked. Now here I am back in my seat coming up with breakup lines, man. This is a fatal flaw in this woman. What is wrong with her? A minute passes, two minutes, maybe three. She comes back, she sits down, she's a little breathless. She's obviously been hurrying. Now when you're at the movies and, and, and you, you leave the movie theater, you come back and you're with somebody, you sit down in your seat and you turn to them and you say, what did I miss, right? And she didn't say it. So, being proactive, I said, hey, you didn't miss anything. Do you know what she told me? She said, and I quote, I know. You knew, didn't you? Because she has an app that tells her when to pee at the movies. <laughs> There's an app for that. Somebody has taken the time to watch every single movie. They've curated it all. They put it up in the cloud. Oh, here's a part, a new character, action scene, plot twist. Don't miss this stuff, but go take a piss. What do you all call it here? The Lou? If I, my name was Lou, I would not live in this country. <laughs> take a piss now. Boring stuff ahead. Four-minute window. There's the prostate break. That's about seven minutes. <laughs> now, by show of hands, how many of you all go to the movies? I think it's safe to say everybody's got their hand up. How many of you all know about this app? One, two, maybe? Two people? Three? The man with the small bladder up there, and he'll admit it. I salute you, sir. Three people. And this guy has got all this data up in the cloud. What is he doing? Is he wasting his time? He is, pretty much. This is called the app discoverability problem, if you want the technical term for it. And basically what it means is you write an app, you spend all this time, and no one will care because no one can find it. But let's look at the future. How will this technology work maybe even soon? What is to prevent my Windows phone from geolocating me and realizing, ah, oh, James is at this lat-long pair. Let me look up the address. Ah, oh, he's in a movie theater, the IPIC Theater in downtown Redmond. That's where James is. And then it can geolocate me vertically to see that I'm on the second floor. It can see that I've been stationary for 30 minutes. It knows I'm in the movies, right? It knows. And it can look up on the website to see what movie is James watching. He's in theater number four at this time. Aha, that's the movie. Let me go ahead and get all the content that has to do with that movie and put it on his Windows phone <laughs> proactively. And then all I have to do is sit and say, you think I'm going to say Siri, don't you? And say, Cortana, I have to pee. And now Cortana... Basically, her response will be, I know, right? Because Cortana knows when the last time I was in a, ba a bathroom. Cortana understands that I just ordered two beers and drank them in the, in the uh, 
parking lot before I came into the movie theater. Cortana's gonna say, yeah, I know you had to pee 15 minutes ago. Why didn't you ask? Wait four minutes and you can go during the, during the break. That's when the next boring part is. This is the world that's happening. So we've gone from developers writing apps that nobody can find to developers putting information in the cloud that your devices will find. See, this is the new world that's coming. Your devices are gonna be doing things for you automatically that you have to do now by yourself. Your devices are gonna be taking control of your life in many cases. Your toaster is going to be online. What the hell would a toaster do on the internet of things? We're gonna talk about that. Your toaster's online, your refrigerator is online and ordering food for you. Your hot tub's online. It understands you need chemicals. It orders those chemicals from Amazon. Amazon comes in with their drone and squirts that shit right into your hot tub. <laughs> this is the world that's coming. Devices that are doing things for us. And, and it's, it's, it's our phones, it's the devices we have in our shoes and that we wear that are in our glasses. All of these things are going to fundamentally change the way you all work. I think the PC industry disrupted a lot. The web disrupted a lot. E-commerce disrupted a lot. Mobile, the apps world, they all disrupted things. They all disrupted a bunch of different industries. This one's aimed at you all. Squarely at you all. What are you all going to do to market to machines? So let's talk about that. Here's the first law. You don't market to a machine. Machines don't give a shit about your ad. That hot tub will talk to all the other hot tubs in the world, and that hot tub will know, hey, what chemical are you all using? What, what, what concentration of pH balance? What, what's working for you? And they'll all talk. And they'll say, oh, that cheap chemical that, that we got first, it's only given us three days of water quality, but this more expensive chemical is given us 16 days of water. That's the one to buy, and they'll all talk about it. And that toaster, one day that toaster is going to realize, oh my God, something's wrong with me. I'm getting hotter than I've ever gotten before. I don't know what's happening. And that toaster is going to go out and talk to all the other toasters that are on the Internet of Things, and that toaster is going to say, what's happening to me? And the other toaster is going to say, you're dying, dude. <laughs> Your filament's getting thin. You've got, based on the data that we've all shared, you've got maybe three days left. You talk about a brave little toaster. That little toaster is going to have to go online and order its replacement. Then you go in and you make your little toast and it doesn't work and you say, uh, my toaster's broken and the doorbell rings and there's the United Parcel Service delivering you a new toaster. What new toaster? You didn't pick it out. Your device picked it out. The toaster picked out its own replacement based on all the data. What, other, what toasters do people have who live in this area, who shop in this area, who have this income level, all this personal data, they're going to consume and they're going to pick the best toaster for you. Our devices are going to be managing themselves. My hot tub is going to be ordering its own repairs. It's going to be printing its own parts. This is the future that's coming. It is a device-oriented, and you can't sell ads to machines. It's all data. It's completely data. But you got an advantage here because machines won't lie. If you go to that hot tub and say, okay, you all are all using this chemical, how'd you pick it? Machine's not gonna say, oh, we saw this beautiful ad, man. You should have seen it. My gosh, we were totally sold. Machine's, not go machine's gonna give you the algorithm. This is the algorithm we use to pick that chemical, that chemical, and that chemical. This is an advantage for you. 
because then you can take a look at it and say, okay, what's the value proposition of my chemical that I need to sell? What is it? And you can figure out those little levers. Aha, if I change price, if I do this, if I do that, I'm going to come out on top. Boom. Now you know exactly how to get into the ecosystem. And once you're in the ecosystem, even win one machine, you are in the ecosystem. So maybe you can't win it on value. Maybe your proposition is higher. Then you're going to see sponsorships. Machines are going to sponsor you. You're going to take, a, here's a collection of hot tubs. We are going to give you our chemical so that you can use it and you can talk to all the other hot tubs and eventually we will propagate throughout the ecosystem. You win even one machine in this new era and you are good. You've got to be able to tell stories to machines. You can buy them just like you can anywhere else. The next thing you're going to have to do is understand that behind sitting in that hot tub is a person. How do you sell to the person? How do you get through the machine to the person? What are you going to use? Are you going to use, hey, my, my chemicals are, are different. They're scented. So that your water not only is clean for just as long, it smells better too. I'm going to introduce a new lever by focusing on the people behind. Then you can get some machines that are sponsored. All of a sudden, people like it. And now the people are telling the machines, hey, I want that stuff that smells good. You have just changed the complete ecosystem of the machines, and the machines have to react, and now you're on top. Selling to machines doesn't necessarily have to be really, really hard. So, uh, and then some machines are just designed to have a human as part of them. We're not going to be in a machine. This is not the Skynet talk. Actually, I have a Skynet talk, but you all didn't ask me to give the Skynet talk. I have a, there is a three, I've got three predictions about the future of the machines taking over, uh, but, but I'll talk to you about that later. So some machines, like the HoloLens that's pictured here, are going to have machines. And th this machine is cool. It's not glasses that just take pictures of, of people without their permission. It's not virtual reality where the world is completely fake. This is the real world that has a machine layer on top of it. Virtual reality mixed with real reality. We call it augmented reality so that you can see things, right? You can imagine um, uh, playing Minecraft with these glasses on and it's, probably figure out why Microsoft bought Minecraft. This is a completely different world. And it's a world you all are going to be familiar with because now you've got people in the mix. You all already know how to work with people. You already know how to sell things to people. You already know this is what you all do. You all are storytellers to people. So a lot of these machines that you're going to have to deal with have people on the back end, and you've got to figure out how to get through the machines. Okay, so now when there's people on the other end, either the people sitting in the hot tub or the people wearing the devices, now you're talking about more traditional storytelling. Now you don't have to go through the machine anymore. You can talk directly to the people. So how do you do this? How do you tell stories? We're going to have to get a lot better at telling stories because the machines are in the way. And when the machines are in the way, that means we might only have a little bit of time. You put those hollow lenses on and you're walking around London looking at buildings and seeing information overlaid on top of it. That's going to be cool. That kind of stuff is coming. You're only going to have the people for a few seconds, maybe a minute. How are you going to tell a story that's really impactful in that short of a time? This is a time constraint. You all got to love it. Don't you love change? Come on, we're not the generation. Our parents lived the same way our grandparents lived who lived the same way their career. Not us. We're used to this. We don't embrace change. We seduce that shit. So I want you to start seducing change now by becoming a better storyteller. You only got a few years left to tell the traditional stories that you've been telling, to have the time it takes to tell a story. That time is almost over. So you need to get good at storytelling now. 
So let's look at the laws of telling stories to humans. The first law is don't ever tell anybody what to think. And the second law is don't ever tell anybody how to act. You can't show them. I didn't tell you about machines are coming. You all got to... I told you a story about a movie that I went with a woman and that told the story for me. I didn't tell you, I showed you. This is a fundamental law of storytelling. Do you know that when you're telling a story, Uri Hassan, a Princeton researcher, uh, did work on this a few years ago. He did, had somebody tell a story and did brain scans of her brain and understood what parts of her brain were, was, was lighting up and what parts of the brain wasn't lighting up while she was telling the story. And then he played this story for a large audience of people who were also getting MRIs and having brain scans. And what he found was that the parts of the storyteller's brain and the parts of the story listener's brain were the same ones were lit up. The story listener's brain activity was mirroring the storyteller. Holy shit. You can literally change the way people think, but with a story. Stories are the most powerful medium to do this. Telling people isn't going to work. Showing people not only works, research shows it's the only thing that works. So we need to get better at telling stories. So I'm going to tell you a story about the first time I met the richest man in the world. It was a conference, Microsoft Research Faculty Summit. Bill Gates was the keynote. And I'm thinking, I'm going to meet Bill. I'm going to seduce him. I'm going to take all of his money. I didn't actually think that. Actually, I did think that. And so there I am at this conference. And he gives his talk. And of course, the crowd rushes up. I got a good spot because I was ready. And I had my story ready. But I got paranoid really quick because I got close enough to hear the stories everybody else was telling him. And they're like, Bill's, Bill's, it was like a wedding reception line. You know, the bride and groom are standing there, shaking hands, shaking hands. Sh everybody else goes in and parties, shaking hands, shaking hands. Bill Gates was shaking hands and he said, I'm a professor from Carnegie Mellon and I do, I do, I do computer vision. And I'm thinking, holy shit. I'm not from Carnegie Mellon. I'm from a school no one's ever heard of. I do software testing. Are you kidding me? That's not sexy. And I get up to the net, get a little bit closer. And then the next guy's like, I'm from Stanford. And, and I do, I do machine-human interaction. And I'm thinking, I do software testing. I mean, they're, they're really, if, if software development had an ugly stepchild, that would be software testing's boss. <laughs> and I'm getting closer, but then I get a little bit of hope. I see that Bill's eyes are a little bit glazed over. Bill's not interested in what these eminent, important professors are saying. And I'm thinking, am I the only one that did my homework here? Am I the only one that thought, hey, I might get 20 seconds with the richest man in the world. This might be important for me. Am I the only one? And as I got closer, I realized I'm the only one. This is awesome. And I don't know what happened. But as soon as I grasped Bill's hand, I grasped it a little bit harder just so we knew. And I made eye contact. I locked eyes on the Bill. You're going to be Bill Gates for me. Shake your hand. Put your hand out, seriously. Put your hand. We're shaking hands. Go shake with me. There you go. We're shaking hands. And, and Something happened in Bill's eyes. Bill all of a sudden seemed to show some interest. May I'll put your hand up. Bill's not putting his hand down now. <laughs> We're shaking hands. And I said, and this is what I said, and I quote, 
eye test software because a broken computer on every desk and in every home is no contribution to humanity, sir. <laughs> and an interesting thing happened. Bill? Bill didn't let go. All of these other professors, Bill had that eye of the, that the groom and the bride had, like, why do we have to do this? The party's in there. Bill left his hand, oh, very good. Bill left his hand up and he pulled me a little bit closer and he said, what was your name again? Power of story. I never told him my name. Now he's listening. You see, it's not about, um, okay, you can put it down. But he did keep it up. We had this conversation. All of a sudden, he was interested in knowing my name, and he remembered it. And, oh, I'm sorry, Bill, one more time. And then I got the, who are you working with at Microsoft? Have you ever met Jim Alchin? Do you know Brian Valentine? You need to meet Soma. And that was the start of my long, now you can put it down again. I mean, I even cheated on Microsoft for three years as a Google employee, and they forgave me because of this. I'm convinced it was because of this. All of a sudden, I'm getting emails from all these Microsoft executives saying, I was told to meet with you. And these are 60-minute meetings. One guy invited, one of the VPs invited me to his all hands because he was introduced by Bill Gates. I cheated on Microsoft for three years at Google. They forgave me. They took me back with open arms. Right? We did a little marriage therapy. Yes, that's true. But we were back together because I obeyed law number three. The conceptual story is the only thing that matters. No one cares about the details. Bill Gates didn't care what university these people were from. He didn't care about what they did because he had no reason to care. My story was his story. That was Microsoft's corporate motto, a computer on every desk and in every home. And I basically said, dude, you're missing spots. You gotta admit, that was some broken shit back then, wasn't it? it was, is it just me or did, things are working better now, aren't they? So, so it's the conceptual story. You can't, in, in this new world, you will not have time to get, get to the details. You won't have time. The, de the, the concept sets the context for the details. The concept makes your audience interested in learning the details. And if they're not interested in learning the details, they're not going to learn them. The conceptual story is far more important. Law four. Stories are told for an audience. They're not told to an audience. Now, I told you I cheated on Microsoft with Google for three years, and my next story has to do with my time at Google. I was asked to take over as an engineering director for Chrome, and I went and met my team. What do you do in Chrome, I said. Oh, I, I'm right into V8 engine. And, what do you do in Chrome, I said. Oh, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Right? They were telling me everything that Chrome did. Oh, Chrome does this, and I work on Chrome does this, Chrome does that. More details, more details, more details. They were speaking to me. They weren't speaking for me. You can't speak to people. When you tell you, sir, I am going to tell you how to write your ads. I haven't told you all how to do anything. I am trying to give you information that will help you. It's for you. You have to understand the audience. No one cares what Chrome would do versus Internet Explorer. No one cared about any of that stuff. And the more you speak, just like those professors talking to Bill Gates, who were they speaking for? They were speaking for themselves. I'm going to try to get noticed by Bill Gates by talking about me. They were speaking to Bill Gates. 
They were, they were talking about the power of their resume. These are ads where feature after feature after feature, oh, you want this product because of feature after feature after feature after feature. You're talking for yourself. You're not talking for your audience. What can your audience get out of this? So I came up with a story. And I told my whole team a story. This is Chrome's story. Whenever anybody asks you, what do you do, you tell this story. You know what? I am shocked. That the, how often are you asked, what do you do? You're at a bar having a pint. God, your beer in this country. Oh, <laughs> lovely stuff. They pull it. It's like a workout. It, it's all frothy. All the Americans say it's warm. Yeah, you, you get the hell out of this country. Go drink somewhere else. This is some good shit, right? <laughs> and, and you're in the pub, and what do people ask you? What do you do? That's what they ask, don't they? Hi, Nicola. What do you do? And no one has an answer for it. You start with the details. You start speaking about yourself instead of for your audience. I taught them a story, and so here I am in the bathroom at Google, right? Men's room, standing there. Actually, I like your beer. You're all toilets over here. Shit. <laughs> so here I am. You know, guys, right? You'd... Here I am. Door opens, somebody comes in and stands right next to me. And guys, you know this, you gotta look, right? You gotta look, not there. You gotta, I mean, you're sharing this moment of biology together. You kind of look over, make eye contact, just to make sure it's not like the Grim Reaper or something. <laughs> so there I am. I look over, I make eye contact, it's Larry Page. I'm peeing next to the CEO, this is great. And what did he do? He turned, he made eye contact, because Larry knows the rule too made eye contact and he said, hi, what do you do? Imagine that. How often do you get that damn question? And so I was there and I said, I've been saving the world from Internet Explorer since 2009. <laughs> he didn't, that was my story. That's what every single person on the Chrome team would have told you when I was running it. I've been saving the world from Internet Explorer since their start date. We got t-shirts printed. And he smiled. He didn't say anything. We went over. We're washing our hands together. And he said, what was your name again? Ta-da. <laughs> the power of a story. And then I got my peers were calling me, emailing me for weeks after that. They're like, Dude, what did you say to Larry? Larry's got this bathroom story about you. What in the hell did you say to Larry? He's telling us we all need stories now. Thanks for the extra work. James, you dickhead. <laughs> God, I love speaking in Europe. I can say dickhead to a crowd. If I did that in America, things would not be good. <laughs> it's the power of the story. The power of the story for the audience. I'm telling you what this product will do for you. By the way, I told that Chrome story just to make up for the uh, abject marketing I was doing for Windows Phone later. I might have even said Azure instead of cloud once. I don't remember. I'll look at the film. <laughs> law number five. All the laws lead to law number five. Law number five says you've got to get your audience to opt in. Bill Gates opted in. Bill, where are you? He opted in, he didn't let my hand go. He opted in, he wanted more details. When that audience opts in, you have them. There's very little, short of peeing on Larry Page, there's very little I could have done to have lost it once they opt in. Thank you, Bill. Get her some shoes. 
<laughs> shoes. I got a shoe story. You see these shoes. If you see these shoes and you think, ah, look at those shoes. Look at those shoes. Those are cool shoes. Ears are okay. Oh, she's got the shoes. Say, I see those shoes. Remember, all devices are online. I see those shoes and I think, I like those shoes. Now, I could go up to you, but girls make me nervous. So I might not be able to go up to you and say, hey, where'd you get the shoes? I would totally look good in those shoes. Now, devices will talk, right? I told you devices won't lie. Her shoes will tell me where they were purchased. These shoes will tell you that all you have to do is tweet using your eyes at the Microsoft booth and you can get me for free. Her shoes may say, you can buy me at, I don't know, what's a British store? You all have Macy's? Oh, you don't have Macy's over here, do you? What is it? Spencer and somebody? <laughs> yeah, that dude. That dude with the food. Right? And now all of a sudden, your shoes are marketing themselves. Right? This is the idea of sponsored customers. You, these are all possibilities. Oh, change is so bad. Fear change. Piss off. We don't fear change. Not this generation. Thank you for marketing yourself. Okay, so get the audience to opt in and you're done. Now, here comes the real question, though. You've, I've told you how to market to machines. I've told you how to market to people. Can you do this? Are you all capable of standing up here and doing what I just did? Captivating an audience, I'm assuming. <laughs> I'm an engineer. When was the last time you put an engineer with PowerPoint and had a good experience? <laughs> today? Am I, am I safe to think it's today? Right? I can do this. I'm an engineer. I am genetically predisposed to suck on stage. <laughs> so, so how did I do this? Is it, is it natural charisma? Is it natural confidence? Martin Luther King was a great speaker, naturally very confident. Martin Luther King convinced both black people, that was the easy part, and white people to change the world. Was it his charisma? Was it his confidence in front of an audience? Barack Obama. I'm over here, I can talk about him now. <laughs> Confident, charismatic. He convinced liberals for his message. He didn't do so good on the conservative side. What's the difference between Martin Luther King and Barack Obama? It's not confidence, it's not charisma. I gave a keynote last year, it was the second keynote of a conference and the first keynote was a woman who we were in the green room together and she was throwing up in fear. You talk about a lack of confidence. She was physically ill before she took stage. I'm thinking, best presentation is mine, man. I'm gonna <laughs> kill this one. And, and so she gets up on stage, I mean, literally throwing up a couple of minutes before, got up on stage, and she slayed that audience. Holy shit, best speaker I've come up uh, against and with for, for a decade. She was really good. And I thought, wow, she got over that fast. She came off stage, right, I'm the next one. And I'm like, high five, holy shit, that was awesome. And she went, <laughs> right, right, I'm like, oh, sorry. She was nervous as hell. And yet she got up there and she slayed it. It's not confidence. It's not charisma. It's not something you were born with. 
It's not my booming voice and my beautifully lilting Kentucky accent. I guarantee it's not that. Right? Steve Jobs did not have a strong, booming, beautiful stage voice. And he was great. Steve Ballmer. Oh. Okay, let's just stop there. It's not the tone of your voice. It's not, this is not a singing competition. You don't have to have a beautiful voice. So what is it? What is it that makes a great storyteller? What is it that makes a great speaker? Here's the secret. This is the one you need to write down. I'm enjoying being up here. I love public speaking. That's not it. The secret is loving the process of getting up here. I love making a presentation. I like making slides. I like coming up with profound ways to say things. I like the struggle of putting a story together. I like the fact that, oh, this story sucks and, and it's a challenge to make it good. I like all of those things. I like them a lot. And that's the hard part. The hard part is getting up here. This is the easy part. And that female keynote proved it. She nailed the hard, she, the, her, the easy part was okay for her. She did it she, because she was so good at the hard part of creating the presentation. Same thing with rock stars. Everybody dreams about playing guitar on stage, don't we? Yeah, we all dream about it. Who gets up there? The people who practiced a lot. Who practices a lot? The people who like to practice. We all think, oh, I'd love to be fit. I'd love to have washboard abs. I would love it. But I'm not willing to do the work. The people who are super fit are the people who like to work out. They like the hard part. Therefore, they benefit from the easy part. This is the easy part. You gotta like telling stories. Learn how to tell stories. Learn how to nail this stuff. This is not something I was born with or anybody else was born with. You can do this. You only have a few more years to tell your traditional stories until the machines take over. And then you've gotta go through them for your story and you've gotta be able to connect with the human on the other end. You can do this. My name is James Whitaker. I'm from Microsoft, and you just listened to an engineer talking through PowerPoint for 45 minutes. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more content like this, and to learn more about Advertising Week's world-leading events for the advertising, marketing, and technology industries, visit www.advertisingweek.com or follow us on your favorite social media platforms.